Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office Equipment Solutions North America wide. Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 J. Tonight's the night, game seven, Stanley Cup final. The St. Louis Blues at the Boston Bruins. I want to mention to you that guests on the show receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Roos Chris, it's the greatest steak you've ever had. Follow the sizzle to 99.90 Jasper Avenue. Tell Maggie and the staff at Roos Chris that Oilers now sent you. All right, uh, Craig Simpson has played in Game 7s before, just not in the Game 7 of a Stanley Cup final. But he's broadcast them before as well. And Craig's kind of, in fact, one involving the Boston Bruins. Craig, how are you? I'm doing well, Bob. Thanks. Yeah, you coached in one as well, as I recall. I was. Uh, yeah. You know what? That, that's let's start there. Okay. I I remember being at the morning skate in Carolina for Game Seven, and you and, and let's face it, you you guys were one bounce away from tying that game late in the, late yep. in the third period. But I remember being at the morning skate, and you guys had won Game Five on the Pisani goal, and you you took it to them pretty good in Game Six, took the game over, and your team was on the ice was was kind of loose and you could hear voices out there and, and then Carolina and and you, of course you guys came out after Carolina Carolina was all business and you could hear a pin drop in their practice i mean you didn't you know Laviolette was the only voice you heard and it was a very different thing and they got a good start in that game and then you guys kind of took over the third period and and almost ended up tying it but do you ever read like what were you sensing going into that game as an Oilers coach, being on the ice for Game well, 7? Well, the one, the one thing I was concerned about a little bit was we had played probably our best game of the playoffs in Game 6 and dominated that game, shut them out. And in a lot of ways, I felt Game 6, uh, as that game ended, you know, we blew Game 1. We had a 3 nothing lead in Game 1, and yeah. we all know what happened late. So my feeling was, you know, we missed the opportunity for that to be our Stanley Cup night. The Cup should have been on the ice. And the one concern I had was it was an easy game for the Carolina Hurricanes to throw in the garbage bin at uh, Rexall Place there and just leave it in Edmonton and come back. They weren't even involved in Game 6. It wasn't close. So for them, it was a clean slate. And you always worry about that because there are some heartbreaking losses that are tough to get over. And I think you're right. For them, it was like you just eliminate game six. We're back at home ice on game seven. And I thought that they had a, a good confidence in, in being at home. Couple to that, you know, they get a unsuspecting goal from Aaron Ward, who never scores, uh, right. minute 27 into the game. And I remember Mac saying to our guys right after that, it, it felt on the bench like our team felt they had to win, uh, score right now to win the game. And, you know, there's, 
there's three periods and 18 minutes left in the game. You got to just get back to play in and don't panic. And the guys were very anxious and, you know, really felt we had to score right away to tie it back up. And so that to me is what you look at in these types of games. When something bad happens early, you've got to just settle everybody down. Make sure you don't get scored on in bunches and get right back to the confidence of your game. And that's what I think is always special about game sevens. And, you know, I thought we did that very well. And as you mentioned, we had a couple of uh, amazing saves by Cam Ward that could have tied the game. I think it was on Hork late and another one on Fernie. And uh, that's, that's the game of hockey. It was a tight game. It was devastating to lose, but that's the magic of what Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final is all about. Yeah, I just, I'll, I'll never forget after the game seeing Todd Harvey and Rem, we've discussed this before, Todd Harvey and Rem Murray. Yeah. And, and, and I've seen it a little bit at the, uh, at the university level with guys playing their fifth years, knowing that that might be the last time they play competitive hockey. Yeah. And for Harvey and Murray, because Murray was had played most of that year in the AHL, actually for Rob Dom down in Houston, and of course the McCammon deal fell through uh, because of the, the jammed uh, fax machine. Just think about how crazy that sounds today. And and so Mur- Murray was a late act, but those guys knew like the finality of their NHL careers had clicked in, and th- just seeing it after, I mean. Hey, what, what, you're, you're a grown man, and you have to turn away. You can't look at those guys in the face because yeah. the tears are rolling down their eyes. What struck for me, you know, having won it twice, the only two times I was fortunate enough to get to the final, and knowing what that feeling was and, and what it meant to not just yourself, but every teammate. You know, you have a special bond with, for me, it's with Mark Messier and Glenn Anderson. It's a, it's a different bond than with any other player when you have – a line mate for five years and you win two Stanley Cups together. And so you never know if you're going to get back. You never know what's going to happen in your career. And I felt that year in 06 as a coach uh, couldn't feel worse for our players who had played so well and had given every ounce of their energy just the same as the Carolina players had, but there's no payoff for it. So, yeah, that, you know, that is the, the ecstasy, the agony of professional sports. And it's, it's heartbreaking. It's the same scenario here. You know, St. Louis has been a great story, very much like the story of our 06 team, uh, playing playoff hockey for the last three months of the season and, you know, doing the things you needed to to get to this moment. And this is going to be one of those games that will encompass all those emotions when it's, uh, when it's over in about, what, 10 hours or so. Well, what's interesting, Craig, is you as a player, you didn't play in a Game 7 Stanley Cup final, but in back-to-back years, you played in Game 7s where the team that was up 3-1 lost in the series, yeah. right? And, I mean, I, hey, I mean, I was a full-blown Oilers fan watching you guys lose to the Kings. I, I remember watching it at the Sawmill on the south side, and I was, I was when I saw Wayne dance, and we got Wayne coming up later on, and it was, yep. you know, I was so goddamn mad. Like, I, like I mean, man, I was choked, right? Like, I was like... Well, you can tell, Gretz, that that, that moment helped us win in 1990, though. Yeah. I mean, that was really yeah. the defining cut-the-cord moment for our group with Wayne. You know, he would probably admit we didn't play him in that series like we would have played a great player on another team. Right. We, you know, we were way too respectful. There was way too much of a, you know, feel that you can't treat him the way you would Mario Lemieux if you were playing him in the final. Uh, yeah. And and that hurt us, and that allowed them to creep back into the series. And, you know, I think it was an important cut of those ties, and it got us refocused for the next year. And 
as you and I have talked about many times, that down 3-1 to Winnipeg sort of solidified our commitment that we're a team that can win again. And when we did win that one the next year, and was amazing. Uh, I thought after that it was just a downhill run from there. We, we felt like we were a championship team and that we could uh, uh, finish the deal, and inevitably we did in five against Boston. All right, let's get to here now, this series. Uh, Boston has to be favored just because of the experience of the goaltenders, don't they? Yeah, I think if you're going to pick one goaltender in this game, uh, you got to look to Tuca. He's been the best player for the Bruins all throughout the playoffs. I even look at the goals that have gone in against him in this series, and, you know, they've been either three of them have been off his own players, three of them have been from bang-bang plays around from behind the net to the quick uh, shot from the slot. Uh, another one, a rebound goal by Tarasenko. So there haven't been moments where you said, oh, you know, Tuka's had a bad game. Uh, the, the game five here that they lost, he let one goal in. And so, you know, I, I think that it so often does come down to great goaltending performances in a game seven. And, you know, you, you don't have to look too far. Bennington's been a great story. He's been a good player. But I don't think there's any question that the, uh, the edge goes to the Bruins in a big way with Rask. All that playoff experience with that organization as well from Char and Bergeron. Is there any way you can under uh, underestimate just what that means to that 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 team, that club, and why they're well? They're... It, it's it's the heartbeat of that team. You yeah. know, Chara. Not only Chara just in in normal circumstances, but Chara with the broken jaw and not missing a beat. Uh, you know, I thought he was much more Chara-like in Game 6 than he was Game 5. To his credit, you know, he's sort of handled now the, I'm sure, the pain uh, management that he has in in playing the game, but also just dealing with the face mask and uh, the visual problems that he could have trying to look down through that all the time. I thought he was much more like himself in Game 6, and I would imagine he would be in Game 7. You know, you say experience, this is Chara's 14th, Game seven uh, of his playoff career. This is Bergeron's 12th. This is Marchand's ninth. And, you know, as much as it's a one game, so anything can happen. But, you know, that kind of calmness and that uh, understanding of the ups and downs and the momentum swings in the game, again, uh, has to favor Boston. But, you know, that's the great thing about playing games is something strange could happen. A couple of lucky goals or bad goals or interesting plays or great performances could be the deciding matter. You know, Craig, you and me had a lot of conversations on power plays over the years. In fact, I, I know you did a, uh, a coaching seminar in 0405 and had a little bit of a joke at my expense where you poked some fun at yourself. But I want to talk about St. Louis because to yeah. me, they've lost momentum on power plays. And I look at that staff and you got Craig Berube, hard-nosed guy. He's obviously done a terrific job. Um... Uh, Steve Ott is a recently retired player. It's not like he's a career coach. Uh, yep. Van Ryan's only been a head coach, you know, a coach for a couple of years. He's he's not a what we consider a career technical coach. Did the is is the one Achilles heel to that group? And they're, they're, the thing is, they have pieces that should be a good power play. They've got guys right. that can shoot it. Two right shots, two guys as options, Petrangelo and obviously Pareko. They've got a guy that wins face-offs in O'Reilly. They've got a guy that can absolutely hammer the pill in terms of uh, shoot the pill in terms of Tarasenko. And I just wonder, you know, I, I don't believe you can have three non-ex-NHL players on a coaching staff. 
but I do think you might want to have one guy that's kind of worked his way up and has been a solutions guy, and I wonder if that's when the margin's this close between these yeah. two teams. Could that ultimately, like, could St. Louis's lack of success on the power play be the killer for him? Well, I think it's amazing that they're here in Game 7. Uh, I mean, we always used to throw out the uh, verbiage, you know, stats are for losers because it's always a justification for something good or bad. But you're sitting here after six games of the Stanley Cup Final and the Blues are a minus seven in special teams in six games. Their combined power play and penalty kill is only 75.2%. You know, their power play is at 5.6. They've had one for 18. And so it's quite amazing that they're even here. And uh, I agree. It was a... It was a killer in game three. They had the early power play, got nothing done, and then Boston went uh, four for four on their power play. And so when you get to this last game, you know, adjustments are really important. And there's a combination I've always felt with uh, special teams. Penalty kill is the easiest because you're just adjusting to tendencies of what you've seen over the last six games. The thing about power play is you need players to execute. You need players to have confidence to make plays, not telegraph passes. I mean, that's what Boston has been so exceptional at on their power play. Seven for 23 they've been because they do things instinctively. They, they don't have the same look very often. They change it. They'll move both bodies and puck movement down low, up high, side to side, fake a shot and a no-look cross-seam pass. Those are things that are instinctive of really good players. And the one thing St. Louis hasn't been able to have is that kind of in internal reaction from players and they've been very predictable they've been very static and that's problem uh, that's been problematic but bob you go to one game again and you never know what can happen all yeah. of a sudden if i'm st louis i go guys our goal is we got to be perfect on the penalty kill so we got to stay out of the box and be aggressive and make sure we take away their options but you got to go in saying we need one power play goal that that one power play goal might be the difference in winning you the stanley cup yeah, when you lose a series in four or, five, or four or five games, man, you're usually beaten. But is it fair to say, Craig, when we're talking six or seven, it really comes down to a bounce here and there, doesn't it? Oh, it does. It could be as simple as you know. The I go back even to R O six. The the second goal of the game that they got was another defenseman shot that hit the Jason uh, Smith sweater and yeah. didn't quite block it, and that changed the trajectory of the puck, and it went in, and so. You go, was that a great play or, you know, an amazing job by Carolina? No, it was a fortunate play that ends up being the game-winning goal. And so, yes, I think, you know, that's where I'm saying the stats are for losers because at the end of the day, if the Boston Bruins lose this game at home and they're going, you know, our power play was clicking at 40%, our penalty killing was at 95 who cares, right? So yeah. uh, if I'm St. Louis, you got to eliminate that you know, negative, any kind of negative thought in your mind uh, on, on those factors and just say, we got one game. How many times during the year have we scored two or three power play goals in one game? Well, they've done it seven times. So, yes, I, I think you got to throw away all those stats to this point, and it just comes to who can execute, maybe who can get the break that might be the difference maker, or when the game does change. That, that's what's amazing about the heartbeat of a game seven is when the momentum switches, can you take advantage of it and score a couple of quick ones? Or on the flip side, when you get scored on early in a game, can you dig in and get your game back? And that's typically how a game seven can turn so quickly because 
you know, even a 3 nothing lead isn't safe. You know how difficult it is to play at that same intensity if one team has a big lead. And, you know, there are nervous moments that will happen throughout the game. Craig, we've appreciated you joining us throughout the entire playoffs. Have a great broadcast tonight. We'll talk next week. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Bob, take care. That's Craig Simpson. We're going to throw it to break. Uh, it's 1249 in Edmonton. This is the Oilers Now. This is Connor McDavid from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 630 Chat. Everybody, yes, tonight is the night. I'm not quite sure, you know, and the irony, of course, is uh, Rod Stewart's son would end up being a hockey player. But uh, I'm going to put Brendan Escott at uh, 1253. You love it when I do this. I'm going to put you right on the spot. Can you name uh, which 19, 19, early 1980s teen uh, <laughs> romance comedy featured that song? No, not from the early 80s, no. Okay, it used to be on Super Channel back in the day, and Super Channel uh, was part of WIC, which was Western International Communications, which owned 630 Jed, which owned ITV. And uh, I swear that movie, the movie was Private Lessons, okay? It was uh, literally, and both figuratively, a coming-of-age movie uh, back in the day. So, uh, yeah, I think Sylvia Christel was in that from the Emmanuel series. Uh, those of you guys that are a little bit older would be able to uh, to uh, nail out uh, nail out one for us. Brendan, that's, uh, speaking of, we brought you in here for a reason. It was hmm. not to uh, get you educated on really lame early 1980s <laughs> movies. Uh, tonight is the night. Who are you taking? Who do you got between uh, Boston and uh, St. Louis tonight? Oh, St. Louis is going to be in tough in Boston. However, I think they've battled enough adversity that they get it done tonight as well. Maybe yeah. that's what my heart says rather than Th- my head. This is, this is a hard one because obviously, you know, we have Louis DeBrus on the show and Jake plays for Boston. Uh, we've probably had Jay Bobeaster on the various shows that I've hosted the last 15 years, uh, probably 30 times over the years. We've had Colt, we've, we've auctioned off opportunities at Specs Golf Tournament to uh, golf uh, uh, to golf with Colton Pareko. So uh, it's going to be a tough one. Hey, did you watch? The, I, I saw you commenting on Twitter about what happened yesterday in the uh, U.S. 
Thailand uh, women's mm-hmm. uh, soccer game. So go through it for us. Yeah, so uh, they, listen, the U.S. is the number one ranked team at this Women's World Cup. Thailand, as far as I understand it, is the lowest ranked team yes. in the entire tournament. They, The U.S. hangs uh, 13 total goals under 12 goals yesterday, whatever it was. And the fact for me, and this is why I was, was busy on Twitter, You've got your veteran players yeah. out there doing pirouettes after goal number nine and the leg shake and just uh, not to me, Bob, it wasn't done in an effort to uh, to really show up Thailand, but it happened anyway. And I think it was a horrendous look for them. Nobody, maybe it's a hockey mentality that you don't celebrate after well, you five or six nothing lead. But come on, it was I, it was could, juvenile. Yeah, uh, Megan, uh, Megan Rapino, Rapino, who was the I, captain of the team. Yeah, by the way, she's been around for a while. She's thirty three. There, there, she there has always been a. Uh, I mean, look at a Hope Solo, uh, mm-hmm. and there was probably a lot more of Hope Solo out there than she was hoping for uh, a couple years ago. Got herself in a little bit of trouble a couple times, including a domestic abuse uh, allegation where yep. she knocked around, I believe, a, a relative, a male. It, it relative. was a nephew, I think. Yeah, yeah. a male relative of hers. Uh, anyhow, um, nothing like reinforcing the, the the stereotype of the so-called ugly American, which is completely unfair because 98% of Americans are law-abiding, good, decent people. Uh, I, You know, there is an element, I would say, with some of their teams where they, they like to tell you how good they are. Uh, that said, they are that good. They are that good in women's soccer. Oh, for sure. Like, admit, like, I remember watching the Dream Team in basketball. And, man, they were awesome. But they weren't, and, yes, they slammed balls home and they were entertaining and all that, but they weren't jerks about it. Uh, Hey, last year here for the Halika Gretzky tournament, Canada's first game, they got 10 or 11 goals. And if I'm not mistaken, they might have gotten 14. And I think they toned it down after about goal number four or five because it was getting a little. The old saying is, act like you've been there before. Thank you. Right? Thank you. and, And it was, and you would think in the case of the American women with soccer, that they have been there before. I mean, they won the they won in Vancouver four years ago. They beat Japan five two in the final, right? So, uh, yeah, I, I thought I, I saw that and I was like, "What is up? Like, come on, man! You know who who reacts the least? You want a guy, Connor McDavid." Connor McDavid's a guy. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he gets excited when he scores a real nice goal, but when he scores a goal in garbage time. No reaction at all. And you don't see in a... There were times last year... Who they beat at home here? Buffalo. And I think he got one uh, like like sixth or seventh goal. And it just was very understated. So just food for thought. Totally agree with what you put out on Twitter yesterday. So that's... Uh, we better get off to a global news weather traffic update with Cassandra Jodois. Uh, we still have Wayne Gretzky coming up at 115. Patrick Russell, he's going to join us, I think, out of Denmark at 105. Resigning with the Oilers organization. This is Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.